Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays, and it is Saturday. I, I was just thinking about what day it was. It ha- has to be Saturday. It is Saturday, August 20th, 2011, and today I have um, something a little different. I- I'm not going to give a Bible presentation, right, but but I have somebody here, Don Spears. He- he's- I met him this year um, on Facebook. Through um, some of the good people here that, that uh, frequent Facebook, Matthew Watt, and, and Don and his daughter, Cammie Spears, have both become relatively good friends this year, and, and um, it's really a pleasure meeting them. Well, well, Don is an anomaly because Don was a Baptist pastor for 30 years. And Christian identists are always fascinated when they find somebody from the mainstream sects who who find Christian identity. And, and we always love to hear that story, and, and we, we always hope to find the formula to wake the rest of them up to Christian identity. And, and that's something that only God could do. And I'm sure that Don Spears would agree with me. Hello, Don. Hello. How you doing, Bill? How Pleasure to be here. It's good to have you. So tell me, um, what what are the obvious questions? People are going to want to know, you know, how does a guy like you find Christian identity? How does a guy who spent 30-something years in in, in Baptist instruction and teaching others and and preaching mainstream churchianity to others, how does a guy like that wake up? And and that's what Christian identists are always fascinated to hear and, and curious about, right? Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, to me, I look back and I think of um, how big a miracle it was to be so indoctrinated with a love of the Jew and dispensationalism, how the Lord opened my eyes. And I can only give him the, the praise and the glory for it. Um, it's by constant study of the Scripture and by different people along the line that I listened to that planted a seed over the years. And that's how it came about. Um, I can remember back back when I was um, growing up as a teenager. I've, I've stopped and thought about this quite a bit. And I can remember my dad watching um, watching Garner Ted Armstrong on television. You know, Herbert Armstrong's son that got ostracized because of his womanizing. But I can remember listening to him. That's back before I become a Christian. And um, on through... On as I went on and studying the Word of God, once I got saved, once I went to Bible college, I was totally sold on dispensationalism and uh, loving the Jew. I even thought about being a missionary to Israel. I was so far gone on the Jew. But I even even in the mainstream Christianity, I was I always was kind of a black sheep. I kind of stayed out of I didn't agree with everything that I heard because I was continuously in the Word of God. And... Um, as I kept as I kept growing in the Word of God, I started seeing problems in mainstream Christianity, especially when I decided to to pull back and pull away from it. And some of the people that um, planted the seeds in my life was, was like I said, Garner Ted Armstrong, and then Steve Quayle, of all people, and then um, Brother Pete Peters, uh, Doctor Gene Scott. And then that's the way I wound up listening to Eli, and through Eli, there was you teaching with Eli, and then Brother Swift and Brother Comparay. 
and those were the ones that planted the seeds. And once I once I started seeing the facts and looking around at the at the problems of the world and the problems with our government and everything, I started searching deeper and looking for the answers because I know the answers are in the book. My answers are always in the book. And I started seeing it, and the light turned on, and it's been on ever since, and it'll never go out. Well, while that's a long trip and a lot of stepping stones, I would think, but um, it, it's it, it's how does a Baptist come to start listening? I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know there's a lot of people, especially older people, in Christian identity that came into it through the Worldwide Church of God, right? Right. Through Herbert Armstrong, and that's with the Ten Tribes message, and and it's basically Americanized British Israelism, is it not? That's correct. That's exactly correct. And the strange thing about it, um, my Bible teacher, Dr. Peter S. Ruckman, that's where I first, as far as like the two seed line, he hinted at two seed line in his teaching in the book of Genesis. And he hinted at it all, all all through the years that I studied under him. He also made the the um, the racial issue. He stood up for the racial issue for a long, long time. And um, me being from the South, I was basically racially aware anyway. But even then, I, I got sold. I got sold out on the universalist message during those thirty years of wandering. And um, I even had a church where the uh, three quarters of the congregation was black. And uh, <laughs> I, if anybody knows blacks, I, I know blacks pretty well, <laughs> pretty well. But uh, even during during um, my studies, like I said, Dr. Ruckman, he left tents and left the door open for the uh, two-seed line message. And I, I basically have always, to a certain degree, was two-seed line, but he, it was even twisted the way he taught it. He, he turned, uh, instead of it being the Jew, he turned it over to the black. He, he used the blacks. A lot of Southerners think that the curse of Cain was being black, and it just started there. It was those seeds that got planted, and later on, the Word of God just came through like a shining light and opened my eyes to it. Now, you had told me that at one time the Baptists and, and um, the Baptists in general were a lot more racially conscious than they are now, and and we see um, vestiges of that, like in the recent events with Bob Jones University and things like that. Can can you tell us more about that? Well, the uh, the Baptists, number one, they never were in the, they never were Protestants. They come from the Anabaptist and the uh, Donatist in early church history, and they never were associated with Protestants. And um, the Baptists in the South have always been, uh, because of the tradition or whatever, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. But they've always been, they've always believed the racial message up until, um, well, just recently in history. And I give you an example. In 1957, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention got up before um, everybody in Atlanta, Georgia, and he stated that anybody that believed in integration was totally against the Word of God. And then through the peer pressure of the mainstream media and the Jew-backed uh, teachings and everything, and ten years later, he made another speech, ten years later to the day, and he said that anybody that didn't believe in integration was against the Word of God. So he totally flip-flopped. It's just amazing. I've watched this happen 
through all the churches, every the, the, all the pastors that used to stand up, the Baptist preachers that used to stand up for the racial message, and uh, and the gospel only to whites, only to our race. I've seen them change. Uh, dramatically, and you can all boil it down to the love of money and their congregation and their um, their ruling over um, God's people. That's basically exactly what's happened. They they bowed to the peer pressure of the Jewish media. Well, well, absolutely. It, it amazes me that Christians don't see that perfectly contrary to Scripture that the mainstream church sects teach something that's fully in line with Jewish multiculturalism and race mixing. And, and it, it's absolutely incredible that they don't understand it. This is antichrist, and, and it's not Christian at all. Absolutely. The, the, their, 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 their love for the Jew is so unbelievable. I mean, it's so astounding. Even uh, like Doc, Dr. Ruttman, even he knew the Jews were bad, but he, they all used one verse of Scripture in Romans chapter 11. They all fall back on one verse of Scripture where Paul says that they are enemies for our sake, but beloved for the Father's sake. That's the only verse that they hang their hat on, and it's amazing. It, it's just unbelievable. And I hung well, my well, hat. Well, well, right, but Paul is talking about the Judeans, the, the, the Israelites in Judea that didn't accept Christ, and, and, and they were the reason why Christ died, because nobody stopped the, the Edomite Pharisees from, from their plans to, to execute Christ. Absolutely, absolutely. And the another, apathy of the people, the apathy and the uncaringness of the people is the lesson there, I believe. Sure. There's no doubt that of what Paul was talking about. And, again, this, uh, the history part, I was talking about the seeds that were planted. I've always had a love for history. And when I heard your expertise in history, I was sold. I mean, that's, that is what really impressed me with your uh, knowledge of history. The history that we were taught only went back so far. They would not like the Greco-Roman history. They would only carry it back so far and not carry it back any further. And then when I heard your message, how you carried the, uh, the, the, Greek, uh, the Greco-Roman history back to the Adamites, that, that, I was sold. I mean, that right there was was infallible, and I, I went and read your papers and everything, and it's just awesome. And and you really shine when it comes when it comes to the history message, and and I love it, and I appreciate you for it. Well, it's the um, if, if the history of our race isn't found in the Old Testament, then we may as well take our Bibles and toss them in the trash. I agree. I agree. 100%. Because we can't be the seed of Abraham. But because sperm can't be spiritual. <laughs> That's just crazy. <laughs> That's exactly correct. And, and where they where they got off the boat, I do not understand. I do understand this much. If the Presbyterians, if the Presbyterian denomination and the Presbyterian scholars back in their day, if they would have had the archaeological evidence and historical evidence that we have today that we've been able to find, then they, they, no doubt in my mind that they would have, they would have understood completely the racial message. But they took it spiritual, and that's the way it's been ever since. Well, well, how do you spiritualize sperm? I, I don't know. The, the the mainstream sects have it all backwards, and I could pick on them all day, right? Sure. I mean, they take the, the promise that um, Abraham's seed would become many nations, and they pervert it into many nations becoming Abraham's seed. That they actually take the the 
the promise and they turn it inside out. They do it with Galatians chapter 3. You know where they go to do it. They, they turn Paul's words into spiritualizing anybody that believes in Christ as being Abraham's seed and make a universal message out of it. That's exactly what they do. Well, well, right, but what Paul's really saying is that if you're not Abraham's seed, you don't belong to Christ. That, <laughs> that's exactly what they say. And, okay. and then if you're not Abraham's seed through Jacob, Israel. Right. Well, it, it, I, I never cease to be amazed at, at how this is so clear and so plain, and it humbles me. Every day I think about it, it humbles me to the fact that I could see this in my wicked state. And these other people, these people that are so leaps and bounds ahead of me as far as knowledge and, and understand, how they don't see it, it, it just it, it blows my mind. I, I, I can't get my mind wrapped around it. I don't understand. And I'm sure other Christian identity people have had that problem with their in-laws and their, their, their family and people that they care about and love, how they can lay the facts out right there in plain English, and it can't be un- and they don't understand it. They don't get it. It blows my mind. Well, well, my life experience is that I've always been able to take the Christian identity message to racially conscious agnostics and atheists and have them understand it and accept it a hell of a lot quicker than I could take it to mainstream um, any any denomination. Pick your denomination, right? I mean, it could be a Jehovah's Witness, a Catholic. It doesn't matter. But but people in the mainstream that that are in those denominations that know their religion are usually um, too proud to even ever admit that anything about their religion is wrong. And the more they know it, the the firmer they are in their conviction. Because it's very difficult for a man to admit that that he believes something that's wrong. I think you just hit the nail on the head. And uh, I've come more and more to believe that pride, which is the number one sin, these six things that the Lord hate, gave seven abomination, a proud look. The pride, the pride is the big deal. For a man to say, look, I was wrong, I taught you wrong all these years, and now I'm, I've seen the truth, and I'm going to tell you, I, I, it just amazes me. That's one reason that I admired uh, Pete Peters. You can say what you want to about the guy, but uh, I heard, I've heard him uh, with a worldwide broadcast come up and say, look, I was wrong for teaching this. Well, you know, there were some things he was wrong about. We wish he would have said he was wrong about, but I've heard him admit he was wrong. And that's the problem you run into, that pride issue. People do not like to admit they're wrong. Well, well I, I know, you know, I know that you, um, you, you defend Pete Peters, and, and that's fine, but we ac- actually, we have every one of our criticisms of Pete Peters were brought to Pete's attention, right? Oh, sure. Before they were ever published. Well, I understand, and I brought some of my own my own criticism to his face over the telephone, and um, I understand why he stayed like he did on baptism, because he came from a, a Church of Christ background. He went to a Church of Christ seminary. That doesn't make it right, don't get me wrong, because I, I originally was Church of Christ myself. I was baptized at 10 o'clock at night by, by a Church of Christ elder. So I understand where he come from, and that was just seated in his head, and he would not turn loose of it. And that happens with um, with a lot of people I've, I've found. 
that come to identity, some of their old things that they, some of their old thoughts, teaching that was um, brought into their minds and their hearts, they won't turn loose of it. I've seen that in just the last five years that I that I have um, understood this message myself. But then again, the the denominations. Um, You've got to you've got to be careful. They they didn't get to where they are by not knowing some truth. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, there's some they, there's a lot of people got a lot of truth. The, the body of Christ is diverse. You've got you you know Paul says in in First Corinthians that um you, the the hand has the eye can't say to the to the hand I have no need of thee. And there's truth there, and we have a filter in First John chapter two, the Spirit of God, which is the filter, and uh, we should be able to get truth from all of our brethren and be able to filter it out and uh, come up with what's right, and not and, and not just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, and well, that, right. I, but I just wanted to qualify that Clifton and I have been known to criticize many people over the years, but we've always brought those issues to those people privately first before we took them public. Oh, that's good to know. And, and that, yeah, you know, that's the procedure that we're told to go through. That's and right. my criticism of Dave Barley, well, they went to Dave Barley first, and he had a chance to answer me privately, and, and he refused to. And, and all of Clifton's letters about Pete Peters, well, they all went to Pete first. That they all, Pete had the opportunity to, to, to um, open a discourse, and, and he didn't, and, and that's his choice. But we, we, we have to take these things public. We have to. And if we feel that somebody's teaching something wrong, it, it has to be brought to light. That's what the Scripture says. Now, after a uh, heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Well, that's well, what the absolutely. book says. And, and I, I just made the point last week that Pete had disparaged the um, the forefathers, and, and the first commandment is the first, yeah, I'm sorry, the commandment to love and respect your fathers is the first commandment with the promise of a long life, right? Yeah, I understand. So, so I had to bring that out. I had to elucidate that. I, I'm not saying that's why Pete's life was shortened, but he is on record as having done those things, and, and I find it unfortunate that he did them. And I, I wish he'd rather have the chance to repent. But but um, evidently Yahweh had other plans, right? Yeah, well, I've, I've been so wrong myself in some areas. I just find it hard to, to throw rocks when I live in a glass house myself. Sometimes. Well, we all live in glass houses. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> absolutely true. But we and 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 um, correction and self inspection must start with ourselves. That's right. And if I'm screwing up, I beg somebody to tell me about it. That, that's yeah, you know, that's that, that's the way we should be. Amen. Amen. That's the easy way when somebody else tells us and we accept it and do something about it. The hard way is when the Lord has to beat us over the head. <laughs> well, well, right. And I've been beat over the head twice. Oh, I have, brother. I have, too. <laughs> so well, well without this, you know, I don't want to pick on you, but, but um, you said you were a Baptist pastor in a three-quarter black church. Tell us a little about that and your experience. Oh, there. brother. You talk, there's one thing that you can know about it. Number one, this is, I'll break it down real simple. Uh, that you can look, you can look in a black size and see that there's no spirit there. I mean, a lot. Some people are going to understand what I'm saying, and others won't. But you can look in their eyes, and there's there's no spirit there. There, the, this racial thing is so strong and so evident that uh, if you would just forget everything you've heard and and think about some simple things and look at simple things, you can understand it. 
Another thing is they never, all they want to talk about is this life, this fleshy life. That's all they're concerned about. They they don't, the only thing they can talk about that even leans towards spiritual is what they've heard, is what they've heard us talk about. Period. That, that's it. On their own, they have, they have they can't do it. They don't. They don't have no idea. They're real fleshy. They're real soulish. And uh, I mean, I respect a lot of blacks. I mean, um, I, I respect them. But as far as anything else, no way, no way whatsoever. It's it's a joke. It is a joke. And this universal this universal thing of bringing all these aliens and these beasts into the congregation has just absolutely been it's it's been treacherous and it's been wicked and it it makes me sick to even think about it. When I look back at the mistakes I made and running around trying to uh, lead blacks to Christ, it, it, it's just um, I have to repent all the time. I shake my head at myself. It was bad. But uh, as far as having a good time and screaming and yelling and acting, acting big and fleshy and uh, things, they, they've got that down pat. But <laughs> well, they come from Africa, <laughs> jumping around, running around naked and everything. And uh, they're just, that, that's what they are. They're beasts, period. Well, no well that's, it. That, that's what I'm fully persuaded of. But um, other Christian identity pastors don't seem to be. That they see salvation in them. I, I, I don't. I, I don't get it. Well, well, um, well, let, well just, let's just look for a second. Why would you think that all of a sudden, with Yahweh God dying for our sins, how do you think that changed the physiology of a beast? If they were beasts under the old covenant, they're beasts under the new covenant. Well, I would absolutely agree. That's all they will ever be is beasts. And, and they can't be changed to men and, and right. nations. That's right. It's just not possible. I agree. Because Yahweh's law is kind after kind. I agree. So 100%. even if he created them as beasts, which I I seriously doubt if he created the ones we have today as beasts, but if he created any of them as beasts, they can never be anything more than beasts. I That's agree. law of kind after kind. I agree. I agree with that completely. And what happens a million years from now, that's in our Father's hands. It doesn't matter. But as far as what we know in the revealed word and what we've got, that's all we can go on right now. Well, well absolutely, that? I would agree. And, and we don't need a gospel to the beast. We don't need it. Nope. Nope. Just like we don't need to tell people what's going to happen to their house cats if, after the return of Christ. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. But we 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 we're supposed to take care of our beast. <laughs> you know what I'm talking I'm talking about. Take be kind, be respectful and kind. Not just come out of hate. You know that's one thing everybody uh, tries to throw on us is we ha- we're we're so hateful in everything. Well, I mean I don't know about that. If we obey the word of God, then we treat everybody with respect. You agree with that? Well, well, right, but you know something? I look at it from the viewpoint of Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah was a man that understood the word of God, and he repeated it to the people of Jerusalem. That's correct. He was only the messenger, and they wanted to kill him. Of course. They always want to kill the messenger. Always. And and that's that's what the wicked elements in this world do. They want to kill the messenger. They think they could kill the message by killing the messenger. But you can't kill the truth 
You can't kill the sexual truth. It'll never die. It sure it will not. <laughs> and, and it'll always be there to haunt the children of the devil. That's exactly right. Of course it will. So, what about this um, Donner Ted Armstrong? How far did he go in teaching the identity message? I'm, I'm really not familiar with the man. Well, he was only on for a short period of time, but, but um, he taught the, the uh, Anglo-Israel message to the, well, basically to the degree that uh, most uh, identity preachers teach it today. Uh, where he got messed up was his, <laughs> was his womanizing, and then he got kicked off television. He got in a big financial scandal and everything, got kicked off um, television. But uh, as far as the message goes, what I can remember... What the, the things I can remember was no different than uh, the Anglo message that's taught today. And I can't remember anything any deeper because I didn't pay all that much attention. I can just remember that that's where a small seed got planted, and later on, like I said, it was watered and it grew. And that's that's usually the way it is with um, anything in the Word of God. If we plant a seed, uh, the Lord will come along and water it later. The Apostle Paul made that clear. So what were the major differences between Pete Peters' doctrine and Garner Ted Armstrong's? Well, well, Pete Peters is just the baptism, okay? And uh, and Garner Ted Armstrong never really talked about um, about prophecy that much. And plus, he had a, he had some other things. He had soul sleep. He had he had the soul sleep. He didn't uh, agree. He didn't um, teach that we went straight to be with the Lord at the time of death, like the Apostle Paul teaches. He didn't teach that. But uh, like I said, some a lot of the, the the main thing I can remember from Armstrong, from Garner Ted, was the Anglo-Israel message. That is what stuck in the back of my mind. As far as the details and the doctrine, I, I can't um, I, I can't speak with any um, honesty and truth and say that I actually remember everything that he talked. So was he really a womanizer, or did they just want to get him out of the way? I have I have no clue, brother. I just know that's what that's what um. We were taught in um, in Bible school that the name was brought up a few times, and that's what they said was the reason for his downfall. So I can't lie. I can't speak with any authority on that either. I just think that all this is probably before my own religious consciousness. I was raised a Catholic, and, and the whole um, television evangelist and, and that whole world was pretty much foreign to me. Right. Be, being a Yankee, right? Of course. <laughs> that world is a lot, um, it is, is centered down south, right? Right. Yeah, there is a big difference. Um, and like, this being the Bible Belt and everything, and I even hate to say that these days because hardly anybody reads the Word of God anymore. They just believe everything that comes out from behind the pulpit. And, and that, that's sad. It's, um, it's a sad thing. Because um, we've been the stronghold down here for the truth for many, many years, and it's not that way anymore. It's sad. Well, well, you had mentioned um, you, you had mentioned the worldliness of the Negroes, right? And, and yes. isn't that it, it? Hasn't that gotten into all of our mainstream denominations today? What do they all say? teach some kind of gospel of personal enrichment today? Well, what do you expect? I mean, you you can't mess around with with crap without getting it on you, okay? And you start. Oh, well, right. It's, I'm sorry. It's to me, it's the perfect religion for the Jewish um, materialism that we've been taught in our society. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. The, the, the degeneration part of it is just, I mean, it's sickening, okay? When you got these white people running around trying to be black, it, it, it's sickening. It, oh, man. Uh, but you get, I can, just for an example, back in the late 50s, you could, um, the blacks, that's when we were, we were um, fairly strong. It was before we got completely taken over by the Jewish media and everything. But the blacks tried to be, they tried to reach up and under the pressure that we presented under integration, they kept separate and they tried to, as best they could, to move up to our high standards, which they couldn't. But you could tell they were clean. They acted right. They could. They even sang. And just go back and listen to some of the to the fifties. Some of the black groups like the Platters. They say if you don't look at them, you think they're whites singing. Okay. They're, they even tried to sing like the whites. We were. They were being brought up to our standard. But that's not the way it is now. With the integration and everything, you got the blacks falling down to their standard. And sounding like them, talking like them, unable to put a sentence together. I mean, it's sickening. It, it makes me sick. I, oh, where I live, there's blacks and Mexicans everywhere, and you have to bite your tongue a lot of times to keep from starting a fight with this. It is a mess down here. Well, well, that's the way the northeast cities are too, and, and yeah. it's, the northeast cities have been like that for um, well, well, for at least twenty five years, I would say. Maybe since the mid to late seventies, when right. Negro music became really popular in in on radio stations that formerly were listened to exclusively by white kids, right? Mm-hmm. And and I can only speak for the New York area, but that's my experience. Right. Well, you know, a strange thing also is off topic, but in a way, it's not. Out in the Northwest in Montana. Those people out there, I mean, it's, it's, it's predominantly white. And in, being from Alabama, when I've lived out there three times, and uh, when I would bring up something about the niggers, they'd call me racist. Racist. And they don't have a clue what it's like to live around blacks, but yet they call me racist because I would I would badmouth the blacks, and I'd tell them, you guys don't have a clue. Here y'all are up here in the Northwest. Uh, you leave your doors unlocked at night. The women are walking the streets with their kids like we did in the 50s down here. And I said, y'all got it made, but y'all, y'all badmouth us in the South for saying what we do about the blacks, and we know what we're talking about. It was it was strange. It, it, was, it was very strange. Up there, their big deal is Indians. They badmouth the Indians. They think the Indians are the trash of the world, which they are up there. But, uh, but they really, really, really jump on us down here for being racist. They call it racist. But I, I think that um, anybody that's not racist has got a screw loose in their brain. <laughs> well, well, God is the author of race, isn't he? Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. we should be racist as a, as a mechanism of defending our, our own kind. No, and and not, that's a love for God's creation. Uh, any, listen, Diane, it, it's, it's simple. The, the, the Word of God is plain. It's in the book. Not only is God racial, he is very selective. He only chose us. He only chose us to love. The gospel was sent only to us. People, because of peer pressure, because of the Jewish media, they kept the pastors today are so sold on it. They don't even they don't even realize it themselves. Or then again, down in their hearts, they may realize it, but they're afraid. They are afraid, and it's sickening. 
Uh, people have been, the men have been so castrated in this nation. It's very, you can't get anybody to say what they believe without looking over their shoulder to see if somebody's going to say something to them. It, it blows my mind. It, it blows my mind. The the effeminization of men in this country, to what degree did, did um, Judeo-Christian churches assist with that? Well, I, I don't know how much in the other churches that uh, that I wasn't a part of, but my main Christian, the main part of my Christian life, the first thing that I was taught in Bible school was be a man first. That's what I was taught. The manhood was already starting to be lost among other churches, and uh, and 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 our pastor well, that was the first to be a man first, and then a Christian. He, I mean, he was totally against any kind of effeminization of men, and that's that's what that's the reason I say you can that the good stuff that I learned under Doctor Rutman, I can carry over into the truth of Christian identity. Now, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the Jew-loving crap and stuff, and, and I, I can leave that behind. And you can find this in other brethren that teach the Word of God because God will show something to one person to be able to get the message out that he doesn't necessarily show to somebody else. That's the spiritual aspect of spiritual understanding that a lot of people just don't get. Well, well, the Bible condemns effeminate men, but I'm, I'm I'm sure that most men today, and and I'm not picking on anybody in particular, believe me, but I, I've noticed from from my own background, which it is basically two dozen years in prison, right, and and the streets of Jersey City. So, so it, I might think a little differently, but to me, most men today are girls, and and the Bible, the Bible talks about and 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 says that effeminate men aren't worthy for the kingdom of heaven. That's exactly what I don't think that men today realize how, how effeminate they become in a lot of ways. I agree and with you. It's men get too easily offended that they, they get that they turn into sissies when somebody tells them something they don't agree with. It's incredible. But what's so amazing is watch somebody they go to the gym, they work out with weights they run every day. They do this to build their body up. And then when you get around them and mention the word and say nigger, or say, they all they take a deep breath and look over their shoulder. They're not, they're not, <laughs> that is the most sickening thing. I, I just shake my head and laugh at them. I mean, it, it's a wonder I don't get in fights all the time because the way I'm talking right now is the way I talk in public. I've told you this before. I'm no different in public than I am on the tele, like I'm talking to you right now, period. And I will always be that way. One of the one of the greatest lessons I ever I have ever learned, and um, I will I'll say this, and I've told you this before, and I've told some of the other brethren this. I read a book in my early Christian life called Between Heaven and Earth by Paul Fieldhouse, and his thesis in that book was you find out which way the spirit of the world is going, which way the majority is going. And if you turn around and walk totally contrary to that, 99% of the time you'll be in the will of God. And I've applied that to my life for the last for the last 30 years. I've, I've applied it to my life, and I've always found it to be true. 
Well, well, you know, it's it's a pretty safe bet that if the whole world embraces it, you should reject it. There's no doubt. That's right, but you can break that down even to in uh, into smaller groups. The majority of Christianity, so to speak, they're wrong. Okay, they they're wrong in in, in the majority of what they teach. You can break that on down in life, not just as a big whole, not just as broad spectrum. But you can break that down if you're careful. You can break it down to just about everyday life. I found it to be true. And you well, turn well, around. And... Um, yeah, you know, one of my favorite verses is 2 John 9 to 11. How do the Judeo Christians get around that? Each who going forth and not abiding in the teaching of Christ has not God. He abiding in the teaching, he also has the Father and the Son. If one comes to you, and this describes all the Jews, if one comes to you and does not bear this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not speak to welcome him. For he speaking to welcome him takes a share in his evil works. If you embrace the Jew, you take a share in the crucifixion of Christ. You want me to tell you how they take that? It's, it's, how do they get around that? They Because they say it's talking about Jehovah Witnesses. Brother... Yeah, uh, what we understand to be absolute fact, they spiritualize or they they use it as a type. Now, you can go back to, say, Deuteronomy chapter 28 on to 32, where it talks about, you know, that we would be servant to the lender, where it talks about the beast coming in and, and everything being taken over by another race if we turned our back on God. You know what I'm talking about in uh, Deuteronomy 28 to 32, where it talks about the curses and blessings. Right. And they will say, oh, yes, that's a type of us today. They don't understand. They, they, they use typology. They use typology, metaphors, and similitudes instead of doctrine. That's, that's, the, that's what they've got into. Where the old-timers would stick with doctrine, but this, under dispensationalism through, through, through uh, C.I. Schofield and Bullinger, they have got to where anything that sticks out, in front of them and says, hey, this is true. They'll say, oh, that's just a pipe. And immediately they just throw it away. They throw it away. It's amazing. I don't know how they get around it, brother. I don't know how I got around it. Yeah, I do. Blindness, okay? Just ignoring the passage, okay? Because I've brought it up over and over again here recently, recently to some of my brothers, and they won't even answer. They'll go to, they'll jump to something else instead of answering the clear question. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, well, it amazes me all, all the time, but I was hoping you had more insight into it. <laughs> to, to, <laughs> me, the, the, um, to, to me, the, the modern churches fit the message to the church of Laodicea in the Revelation perfectly. That they, they, they teach this personal enrichment, and, and the message to the church of, of the Laodiceans, the, the Laodiceans, is, that's how I say Laodiceans, right? But, well, um, that, that basically, Yahweh is telling them that they think they're rich, but they really have nothing. That they think that they're wealthy and they, they're in need of nothing, but while well, their righteousness is like dirty rags, right? They're really bereft, and they're bereft because they have no spiritual treasure. They have nothing saved up in heaven. It's a very materialistic religion today, and, and Judeo-Christianity is basically just a... Um, it, it's the perfect religion for the commercial world of the Jew. Sure. I agree 100%. And the personal enrichment part you, you're talking about, you have to be very careful with that. The mainstream... The mainstream Judeo-Christians will go 
to the furthest end of the spectrum with a personal enrichment, where I have noticed that Christian identity and the Anglo-Israel message, in their zeal, goes completely to the far end of the spectrum on the other side. Both are wrong, okay? Both end, the end of the spectrum is the wrong place to be. It's in the middle. That's where the right place to be is at, is in the middle. It takes both. It takes, it takes the spiritual enrichment along with the message of Anglo-Israel to make the solid Christian. That's my opinion, and in, in, uh, history seems to back that up. You can't deny the spiritual enrichment of our, of our forefathers. They were, had, they were men of character. They believed the book. They didn't try to cut the book up. They believed the book. Look at their fruits. You've got 2,000 years of church history. Only in the last 60 years when you've got a strong foothold do you see the deterioration. But before then, the Renaissance period, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Zwingli, Tyndale, you can go right on up with all the, the um, our fathers from the, from the last 2,000 years of church history. You have to be careful. You have to be careful with that. Well, well, the Sounding Fathers, a lot of them, John Adams and, and um, John Hancock, and, and to a lesser degree, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, I mean, John Adams, James Madison is another one. They were all devout Christians. That's right. And, and people think people, the, the mainstream churches deny that they're Christians. Oh, I know. I was taught in Bible college, I was taught that none of the Founding Fathers were, were actually Christians. They were deists, okay? That's what I was taught. Because they rejected churchianity. They that's, rejected the churchianity of their time. That's right. But they that's, lived Christianity. That's correct. And, and Christian philosophy was interwoven into their thought, their lifestyle, their political thought. It, it's Everything they did was Christian. They that's didn't right. have to go to church. They didn't honor God with their lips. They honored him with their actions. That's correct. And by their fruits, you know them. Their character was formed by the Word of God. They believed the Word of God. They weren't filled with all the the, the radio waves, all the TV. All, they, they weren't filled with none of that. The, the books that they read, they read the Greek classics. They read all of history, and they, they pondered it. They took time to sit and think about what they were reading. And things that came to them were not just in sound bites like we have today. I mean, to get somebody now that will read half a verse of Scripture and stop and just think about half a verse, think about the words, think about the structure, think about what it's saying, let the Spirit use it. It's hard to find anybody that can do that. It blows my mind. I don't understand. It's, and then again, I say, I'm not that smart, but I can understand those simple things that seem to be forgotten in the Christian world today. Well, well, right. It, it's um that they only want to honor God with their lips and go to church on Sunday, and the rest of the day they want to um that they go to church Sunday morning, and the rest of the day they worship the Negroes running the ball up and down. <laughs> yeah, I understand that, brother. It, it's amazing. It blows. But which me. is pure idolatry. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and then when Sunday's over, they can't wait till Monday night football. <laughs> it's crazy, brother. It's crazy. We live in a in a bad bad time. Okay, <laughs> a bad time. And the and when the Lord comes back, there's going to be some hell to pay among well, His well, people. Well, Christian identity might 
Yeah, you know, it's too. And I spoke about this on one of my forums a couple of weeks ago. That that um, it it seems like, and I spoke about it on my Euro forum a couple of weeks ago. I, I remember that specifically. It may seem like we have to um, talk about the racial message too often, and and that prevents us from talking about deeper spiritual truths. And I would fully agree with that. However. The racial message is where the war is being fought. That that's where Armageddon is, right? I understand. Until people that claim to be identity get it, and, and there are a lot of people who claim to be Christian identity still don't get the racial message. That blows my and, mind. And and I have to keep fighting the war on that front uh, until um uh, I, I feel that I can't fight it anymore. It reminds me, uh, to be honest with you, it reminds me of evangelism in Judeo-Christian. Because they, an evangelist in the Judeo, all they teach is uh, the personal salvation. That's what an evangelist does. They're, they don't get off on anything else. And I can see, I can see exactly what you're saying, and that's what it reminds me of is the Judeo-Christian evangelist. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I say there's a place for every bit of. There's a place for all of that. There is definitely a place for all of that. Well, well, right. It's it, it's hard to get past the racial issue when people don't when, when there's still so many people that just don't get it. That is the big, like you said, that is the number one issue today, and people can deny that it is all they want to, but all they have to do if they've got eyes to see is look around them. Okay, <laughs> that is the number one thing today. This multiculturalism, and it it is the destruction. It is the destruction of our people. And it just, I, I don't understand. Like I said earlier, I do not understand how anyone cannot, cannot get it. And the ones, I believe, that do get it and are afraid to say anything about it, oh, man, they need to be hung up by their feet because they're not men. They're not men at all. They're girls. So, so what are the social differences in Baptist churches down south between the, um, the, the, the 60s and the 90s? The social differences, would, well, to be honest with you... Well, I said in the 1960s, even if blacks and, and whites attended the same church, they probably didn't sit together, right? They don't. They didn't attend the same church. Then. They still don't attend, basically, the, down here, especially in the country. And in the, in the cities, the big churches, you will see that quite a bit, blacks mixing with whites. But in, out in the country, when you get away from the city, you get away from Birmingham, you get away from Atlanta, you get away from uh, the big cities down south, you don't see it. If there is, the, I mean, it, they don't even realize they'll, they'll, they don't even realize it themselves, but they're staying segregated and they understand the racial message because it's part of our heritage. But they still, if you get them out of church and mention something about the blacks or talk about multiculturalism, they immediately call you a racist, like happened to me um, not too long ago. You know all about it, where I mentioned when uh, this woman told me that, um, do you think it's because I'm married to a black that such and such is having problems with such and such? And I said, absolutely it is. I said, what makes you think after 5,500 years of staying separate and in the last few years you think it's okay? You think everybody was wrong since the beginning of the time and now all of a sudden it's okay? You've been brainwashed and immediately they call me a two-cluck clan and a racist and run jumping the truck. <laughs> but yet you still, 
you still down here have the separation to a degree, but when it comes to being to speaking out about it, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. Very few people will you find that'll actually stand in public and speak their mind like they used to. Very few. And if you do, you stick out like a sore thumb. Believe me, I know. I stick out like a sore thumb everywhere I go. <laughs> well, well, right, and that's the big feeling I get up here, too. Yeah. And all my cousins up here, that they have no um, association with Negroes whatsoever, but they don't understand that there's a difference, and, and they refuse to. They refuse to see that there's any difference. That They refuse to see that there's a... a, a um, a, a, a variance of origin and, and a difference in destiny, and, that, and that's just the way it is. Uh-huh. And, and it's incredible. It's an incredible blindness. And, and I, I really think that men can't open somebody's eyes to it, that God can only open somebody's eyes to it. And sometimes that's through tragedy, and, and in your case, fortunately, it wasn't, but very often it is. Oh, amen, brother. Amen to that. I, I can assure you that it. The, I give all the glory to God and the Word of God. If I hadn't, uh, if I if I didn't live in that book, it probably never would have come to me. If it, it, well, the Spirit wouldn't have had a way to show it to me. Um, but it's through it's through loving that Word of God and staying in the book that um, the Spirit can work and 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 bring truth to you. I mean, this stuff is this is uh, this is elementary. Um, it's just elementary. That's one thing I again I can say for um, for my teacher and the way I was originally brought into Christianity. I was taught that the Word of God was the most important document on this earth, and I I still believe that. And I owe all the honor and glory to that book and to my Savior. Period. In the story. Now, now, when you say my teacher, you refer to Peter Ruckman, right? That's correct. That's right. So, so tell us more about Peter Ruckman. Uh, Dr. Ruckman is, um, oh my goodness, I think he's about 85 years old now, and uh, he was he's a Yankee, transplanted Yankee. He's from, um, I think he's from New Jersey, I forget exactly. He was born up north somewhere, I think New Jersey. I think that's where he was born. I'm not, I can't are remember. All those Yankee states are the same, don't worry about it. <laughs> all I know is he's a Yankee, but... But anyway, he was um, he would he got into Zen Buddhism. He was a Buddhist, and uh, he graduated from Bob Jones University. Graduated from the University of Alabama, and he graduated from Kansas. He's got he, the education just is out the ceiling. But his IQ is around 185, 190, 95, something like that, and um, had practically a photographic memory. But um, he was a man. He was a man, and I still admire him, and I love him for those basic things that he did teach, even though he led me astray about the Jew and some other stuff. The basic stuff he taught me, I will never forget, and um, I give honor to whom honor is due. And um, he was he was a good man. He's a good man. He's ending the end. He um, is ending, coming close to the end of his life now, and it's a sad thing, but the only people he evangelizes now are blacks in prison. And that's a sad thing when he used to stand up and tell us he would never allow a nigger in his church. And he taught us all his preacher boys not to mess with the niggers and all that stuff. And now he, all he's doing is evangelizing blacks during the summertime. That's a sad thing. But I guess you reap what you sow. It's yeah, that, that amazes me that, that um, I have a lot of experience with blacks in prison and they can't be evangelized. That they, they um. 
First, they, they, they sign up for religion because it, it's a gang thing, right? They want to fit with a gang somewhere. And, and second, that they like their religion because they, they get a couple of good meals a year. Yeah, you know, they get a big Christmas feast if they're Baptist. Dude, I think they're going to get something out of it. It goes back to that fleshy part of them, brother, like I was saying. They're so fleshy. That's all they are is flesh, okay? They ain't not a spiritual bone in their freaking body, okay? It's all I've flesh. Seen, I've seen quite a few Negro preachers think thought they were preachers in prison that were in the showers at night doing very unseemly things, right? But they have no, no moral scruples. That's it. And, and they never will. The the structure of a morality that they do have, they got it. They they just they learned it from us. Okay, <laughs> simple, plain and simple. They 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 forced themselves into this structure. But where did this structure come from? The structure came from us. That's just like the rest of the world. Whatever they got that was good, they got from us. There's no original thought anywhere else. There's no original thinking. The thinking is for us. They just pick up on what they can, what they can do. You can, like I said not too long ago, I put on my Facebook page, you can take the monkey out of the jungle, but you can't take the jungle out of the monkey. Period. That's just the way it is. When left to their self, they'll go back to being cannibals. That's well, they're the doing it all over the country now. I, I mean, we have all these flash mobs now and, and, um, blacks ganging up in, in 200, 300 groups of two or 300 and, and, Raiding and pillaging stores and, and streets and entire districts in Philadelphia and and um and I think it's going to get worse. The London riots were, were perpetrated by blacks and and it's absolutely total black on white crime. It, it's happened in um Ottawa, Canada. It's happened in Boston, Philadelphia, Kansas City, New Jersey, um all this year and and probably several other places I haven't heard about yet. All this year, there, there have been many flash mobs of Negroes assaulting whites that they ruined the Wisconsin State Fair this year, and, and they've destroyed half of London. I mean, they've burnt down large portions of London this year. It's going to get worse. I mean, uh, it is definitely going to get worse. There's no doubt in my mind about it, period, period. Well, well I wrote, and, and hopefully it'll be out. Um, early next week, I wrote in my Saxon Messenger editorial this month that, that whenever man has tried to, to defy nature, he has had to put in very large and expensive support systems in order to do so. Right? Sure. I mean, you want to send a couple of men up in space and in the space station and, and you're defying nature. And to do so, you have to spend a billion dollars on equipment just to have two men orbit the earth a couple of miles above the surface, right? And, That's and right. Defying nature, and you need that huge support system in place in order to defy nature. And and in the 1960s, uh, I think that the American government understood that it was defying nature by forcing integration, and and the huge unnatural support system that had to be built to prop that up was the welfare state. That's right. And the, the wall, their structure is going to come tumbling down. Well, well, yes, it is. Just like and the then there will be chaos tumbling down. And, and we, we may be on the verge of that chaos. And, and if we do, we should hold our heads high and know that our redemption is near. But, but, I mean, Babylon is showing more and more cracks. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And that is my prayer that she will fall very, very soon. You know, I was thinking, I believe I told you not long ago, back in the 60s, whenever they shot the coon up in uh, Tennessee, there were riots in Birmingham, and, I mean, they just 
absolutely tore Birmingham apart. Over in Anniston, Alabama, about 60 miles away, they started trying that over in Anniston, and they set on they set a few buildings on fire, and we didn't take it. I mean, uh, in '69, I forget how exactly how old I was, but I have well, me and my cousin had guns, and brother, we shot them out. We shot them out the top out of the uh, second story window. Okay, we shot them. I mean, I'm being honest. And uh, when we ran out of shells, the police came by, came up in the yard, and gave us two more boxes of shells. Okay, shotgun shells. Now that actually happened. That's an absolute fact. <laughs> it's, it's it's different down here, brother. It was then. Now this, this day and time, I don't know what's going to happen when all the crap breaks loose. Well, well, um, I don't know. I, I tried to talk about it last night, covering Matthew twenty-four, right? But but I don't like to postulate and and um and and guess what's going to happen, right? Right, but we're we're in Armageddon. We've been in Armageddon. Uh, I mean, Ezekiel thirty-eight is going on all around us. We are surrounded by our enemies. I understand. I understand that aspect that you think about uh, Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine, and I agree with you to a certain extent. But I do believe that uh, the other part of that, when the shoe will fall, I believe it'll be an actual battle. I don't believe it'll just be. I understand it's an actual battle now. I understand what you're saying. But I think it'll be a more literal thing. Well, well, I think after Babylon falls, we're going to get to the point where we, where we find the um, the truth in the scripture and and the time for its realization in Micah chapter four, where it says, "Arise, ye." That's right, rise and thresh. Well, well, I had no need to talk about that in association with Matthew chapter twenty-four, right? Right. I understand. I understand that completely. But I do believe that there will be that that. The thing is going to turn physical sooner rather than later. I mean, the law of entropy is going to take place, okay? I mean, uh, you can't, like you stated, you can't defy the laws of God and get away with it. You may build a structure to hold it, to hold it, to keep the boundaries apart for a while, but it's going to kind of fall down. It's got to fall down, all right? There is no doubt that this artificial society will collapse. That's correct. That's absolutely correct, and all the all the prophets of doom that's been prophesying for the last thirty five years is going. <laughs> they're going to be right, brother. <laughs> they're going to be right, okay? But well, well, right, and I'll be very happy when they are, as long as it doesn't happen December twenty first, twenty twelve. Oh, let's don't go there, man. <laughs> that is that is a joke. That that is a joke. Now, I t- like I told you uh, a couple of weeks ago, I would not be surprised. With the control that the the Jews have over our science and over our um, media and over the world in general, though, and the financial aspect of everything, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to pull some false flag or some off the wall something, some fake alien. Inv- I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt that at all. And I, I would be looking for it. I'd keep an ear open to that kind of stuff and an eye peeled for that kind of stuff to happen for them to make total deception upon our race. I wouldn't doubt it to be it. Well, well, uh, I mean that's that the, they'll do anything they can. It, it's um, our race is deceived now, but but that's the the goal of the enemy is to keep us deceived until we're destroyed, right? That's exactly right, and that is their main goal is to, to destroy our seed. Okay, that's their main goal is to, to destroy us. Mix us first, get everybody confused, 
and then drop the hammer and destroy it. That's what they want to do, is the destruction of our race. Well, well, right, and it goes back to Cain killing Abel. That's it. That's Cain, it. Cain always knew that he, he was a usurper, I believe. Yahweh would not accept Cain's sacrifice because Cain had no business offering a sacrifice. That's right. And, and the oldest son, the oldest son is the family priest, so what was Abel doing sacrificing? That's right. Abel was sacrificing because he was challenging Cain's um, authority to, to make a sacrifice. You mean Cain was, was challenging, challenging Cain's Abel? Legitimacy. Yeah, Cain was challenging Abel's authority. Well, 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 right. They were both sacrificing, and that shows that that um, Cain's authority wasn't there. It was questionable. Of course, of right. Course. And and only the oldest, firstborn, legitimate son has the right to be sacrificing. That's right. You can take so, so we see that struggle right there, and it's still going on today. Now, well, the one thing that men learn from biblical history is that men never learn from biblical history, brother. It's the same in um, secular society. They don't learn from history, or the ones that have learned don't apply it. it. It's amazing. Those first three chapters are so important. The understanding of the first three chapters of Genesis is so crucial to the rest of the book that it just goes without saying. I've heard well, say, you can't get Genesis 3.15 right. To me, that's what Christian identity is. Amen. It's identifying the parties of Genesis 3.15. Amen. And I, the only thing I got that from the my, uh, from the very beginning as a Christian, I got the difference. But the problem was I had it. I had the uh, the black race instituted instead of the Jew. Okay, and all I had to do was switch out the, the color. I had to switch out the race. That's all I had to do. Well, well, if you listen to Clifton and I, they they probably both have similar origins, right? <laughs> well. I, I kind of agree with Brother Wesley Swift. I don't believe they're from. I don't even believe they're from here. Okay, and I tend to believe what their ancient ancestors say. They say they came from somewhere else. I tend to believe them. Okay. Well, well, right. But the bottom line is that any way you look at it, they are instruments of Satan. Absolutely, absolutely, no doubt. No and, doubt. And their fruits show that. Their fruits show that throughout all history, they are instruments of Satan. And how anybody could even for a second believe it's any different now. It just, it, it never ceases to amaze me. You can't, but you can't even get anybody to sit and talk about it on an intellectual basis. The, the, the art of critical thinking seems to have departed. It makes me wonder. I, I, all the time I wonder, is something, is there a spell being, is something, is there something supernatural going on here? Is there a spell being cast? What is the problem with these people that just can't even critically think and just talk about a subject with any kind of um, sense whatsoever? It, it blows my mind. Have you run into that problem? Do you ever try to talk to people about this? I'm talking about outside of outside of Christian identity. Do you ever just go to the supermarket and pull somebody over to the side and try to talk to them? Well, well you know something? I, I'm basically a shut-in, right? I mean, I don't see anybody. I, I, I'm being honest. I, I don't see anybody, and and I'm not going to see too many people until um. I understand. Next, until next spring, right? Sure, I understand. I understand. Well, when you come down south, I can assure you that um, if you go anywhere with me, we'll be talking about it. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I sat in prison for twelve years and 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 taught this message and and had white guy after white guy after white guy, and and some of them rejected me and some of them accepted me. Right. Well, I've often. 
in, in my current um in, in my current status i would rather not talk to people in public until um until the chain is completely offering i understand i can understand that but what what bothers me is some of some of the brethren that just will not do it because they're afraid of their pocketbook they're afraid of what somebody might think about them and I, it, it makes me wonder if they even believe it in their heart because the, the Word of God says from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And if all the knowledge in the world about our message doesn't fall 18 inches, you've heard me say this before, if it doesn't fall to the heart and come out the mouth, I have my doubts of whether, you know, about whether it's even in the heart at all. Well, well that's, a lot of people are armchair, armchair. Um, theoreticians, or, or they want to talk from a point of anonymity and not actually risk any of their sustenance in telling the truth. I, I fully concur with that. Sure, um, and I have noticed. I have, when I like I'm when I'm on the computer, I don't hide anything. I don't go under any kind of alias name. And the people that I get to talking to, hey, I send them my telephone number. Hey, I, there's nothing I've got to hide. I I say the same stuff, in, like I said, in person, as I say on the computer or anywhere else. And I'll send them my number to see if they'll call, you know, and we can talk on the telephone. I've met some real good brothers, you know, that we, we communicate over the telephone. We just don't type on a on a keyboard. We talk on the telephone, and we're going to get together. We'll, we'll eventually see each other, and, and I love that. And the people that I... That I do send that stuff to, I never hear from again. I kind of have my doubts about them. You understand where I'm coming from? Absolutely. Well, and we shouldn't be afraid to tell the truth in public, and we shouldn't be afraid to meet our brethren, and we shouldn't be afraid to commune with them. Amen. Amen. And, and there's a lot of people on the internet that are just looking to start trouble or, or to troll, and they will never want to meet with you, right? Sure. Sure. I agree with that 100. percent They don't never want to put their, their um put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, I just there's one thing about it. If you fear man, you don't fear God. But if you fear God, you don't fear any man. I've always said that. I was taught that. I feel, I believe it with all my heart. That if you well, fear man, true, you don't fear God. Thing, and I have to remember that. If you fear God. You don't fear any man, but if you fear man, you don't fear God. Well, the right. fear of man, man only has the power, snare, brother. Man only has the power over you that God wants him to have over you, and that's what that's Jesus Christ told Pontius Pilate, right? That's right. And, and that should be our example always, right? That's right. The book says the fear of man bringeth a snare. <laughs> you just you can't beat the book, brother. It's all in the book. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. That book's well, not well, just a, that book's not just a message. It's got a message, yes. It's got a racial message, yes. But it tells us how to think. It tells us how to talk. It tells us how to act. Everything, all matters of faith and practice, is in that book. People have a real hard time in having the faith that's required to transfer the words of the book into their lives. Sure. You know, it's we're told not to worry about what we're going to eat, drink, wear, where we're going to sleep. But we're told all that, not to worry about it. And people have a hard time 
putting those worries aside. They have a hard time saying, okay, God, you're in control, so I'm just going to run with the football and, and let you take care of everything else. Yeah, I understand that. And, and when I hit the wall, I'll know that you put it in front of me, right? <laughs> that's right. And the, the and the reason, one of the main reasons that that's been that way for the last 50 years is that you is the peer pressure of the media and the peer pressure of the world. The spirit, like I said, the spirit of the world is so strong. Like the and like it says in First John, the the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's our three big enemies. Okay, and they that's our up. three big enemies. No doubt. But without the having faith in that book, the Bible says in Hebrews, without faith it's impossible to please God. And we have to exhibit faith in something. We can't put our faith in the almighty dollar bill and our employer. Okay? You can't do that. But everybody does. And I understand that people have to eat. I understand that. I've been in the position to where I had to make choices. I had to make choices with the book or make the choice to go along with the way everybody thought. And I've always, thank God for giving me grace and mercy, I've always been able to choose the book instead of the man. All right? And I will continue to do that. Lord, giving me mercy and grace till the day I die. Plain and simple. So, what would you say to your Baptist congregation if you went back there tomorrow? I the white, say, the white I, people, anyway. I would say, well, it would be if I went back. As I wouldn't uh, mess around with. But the let's white. say you had a chance to preach tomorrow at, a, at an all-white Baptist church in, in um, Central Alabama. What would you say? I would, just get, I would. I would go right. I would go immediately to what identity preaches all the time, ninety percent of the time, and that's the Anglo-Israel message. That's exactly the first thing I would do. I would explain how I was deceived. I would explain, go through the details of how it was done, and I would give the Anglo-Israel message with the proof and let the chips fall where they're made. How long do you think you last in that pulpit? (laughs) Well, I would, uh, no telling. (laughs) No telling. It's probably according to what area of the South I was in or what area of the state I was in. It would probably be received in some areas where it wouldn't be received in other areas. Like I said, brother, there's still pockets down here, pockets, very small pockets, where people will listen. I didn't say that they would agree, but they will listen. But I would love the opportunity to go back and right some of the wrongs and take care of some of the false doctrine that I've taught in the past. It um, burdens my heart sometimes. And I have a love from... I have a love for my brethren, brother. I mean, I really get upset about it. I get passionate about it because I think about all the thousands of people I've talked to. I, I, I spoke to the largest church in the state of Alabama, Fraser Memorial. That's the largest, about 2,500 members at one time. And I, I think about all the opportunities I've had where if I would have known the truth like I know now, but instead I told them a lie. And it, it, it hurts my heart. It really does. Well, well, right, but we've all, you know, we may not all be former Baptist preachers, but we've all believed in taught lies at some point in our life. And that's hum- the greatest act of humility is is recognizing that and, and desiring repentance. Amen, brother. But, I have, but I, I've, t- I've, t- I've taught some lies that has affected their life, brother, and I'm sure that some of them are still 
going by the, the some of the false stuff that I taught, and uh, it just bothers me. It, it 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 really bothers me. I get upset about it. You know well, that. Well, I've told you that before. If you weren't there doing it, some other Baptist preacher would have been there doing it. I, I mean, you were only doing your role for the beast, right? I, I mean, I I wouldn't put that guilt on you directly. And Yahshua Christ says that the the man who is forgiven the most is the most grateful, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right, brother. But so I, also I, was, know, I, I would, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't have too much of a bad conscience about that. If it wasn't you, it would have been somebody else. Yeah, but I also knew know to whom much is given, much is required. Also, well, well, and it, right, and that's what we have to move forward with, right? That's right. I mean, I, there, listen, Christian identity should be the holiest. With the message that they have, they should be the holiest, most righteous living people on the face of the earth. That's what kind of that's the message that is in Christian identity. With that truth. With that truth, that should be talking about much required, okay? That message is so important. But while I fully agree, we should be absolutely blameless in society. That's right. And we should be absolutely detached from society. And when I say that, I don't mean that we can't go to Walmart and buy I understand what you're saying, brother. But but we, we should never be found in a movie theater. But we should never be found at a pro sports event cheering on some Negro running a ball around. I understand that. And, and we should be total from everything that we don't need, we should be totally detached from. That stuff, yes, I agree with that. But I'm talking, the thing that I'm, I'm hitting at, brother, is when other people look at an identity, they should want to be like them, okay? We should turn that pressure around to where, hey, that guy's got good character. It's the character, brother, okay? Well, absolutely. That's absolutely. what people look at, okay? You can preach a sermon with your life. A lot of times, a lot of times words are just, that's all they are, is hot air, all right? What you preach with your life is what people actually look at and pay attention to. Well, well studying that Word of God brings, builds that character in us. That's exactly correct, brother. Uh, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist from the 1800s, said, that book will either keep me from my sin or my sin will keep me from that book. The great saying, and it's true. It's true. Well, well, that was Paul's message to the um, to the assemblies that he brought the, the gospel to. He he told them that the word of God would form the anointed in them. That if they studied the word and lived in it, that the anointed, that the, the chosen of God, that the anointed people of God, and and the the, the um, honor that they, and glory that they should have in the world would become manifest in them. That's right. And it should. When we actually act like the children of God, it, it's people look and see, and, and, and nobody can accuse you. That nobody, if, if you actually live or seek to live by his will, none of us can walk the walk perfectly. We're all men. But if you actually seek to live by his will, and people look at you in public, and, and, and that's the way you conduct yourself, and that's the way you live your life, then they do want to have that as a role model. Sure. That's exactly right. And we're just because that we have a, our liberty in Christ, we shouldn't use that liberty as an occasion to the flesh or to make a brother stumble. Just because we can do things that happen, uh, just between us and God, which is perfectly fine, like the Apostle Paul said, 
All things are lawful for me, but I'll not be brought under the power of any. And if it makes my brother to offend, I'll not do this or do that as long as the world standeth. Because he, he cared for his brother enough not to make his brother stumble or offend his brother. Romans 14 is a good chapter, on, is the best chapter on that, about doubtful stuff. Well, well, right. There are things that, that we should do and not do for our brother's sake. That's right. Absolutely. And, and just brother. because you think you could eat a plate full of pork ribs doesn't mean you should do it at the family barbecue. Well, that's exactly right. And that's a, he, a matter of fact, that's a good that's a good thing to say because he brings forth that illustration about if you're invited to a feast and they set meat before you eat it, don't ask any questions. But if the guy says this is a meat sacrifice to idols, don't mess with it. Don't don't eat it. <laughs> well, right. Once you know it's unclean, you can't touch it. That's correct. And pork pork you should always know is unclean, right? But but um. Yeah, he was talking about meat sacrifice idols. Yeah, amen. Brother. And we that this, that has a lot of application in the world today. Absolutely. Yeah, there's some things in the Word of God that that are not processive. In other words, they don't transcend times. A lot of the historical stuff, like the words Jew, Gentile, that that stuff didn't just take on the meaning of those people over there in that sandbox across the ocean just because they're there today. That, that doesn't mean jack squat. That stuff didn't transcend, but some things are never-ending, and, and um, they never go away. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. The moral laws of God are eternal. That's exactly right. They, they can't be done away. That's correct. That's it. That's exactly right, brother. And we should always seek to follow them. Absolutely. And these turkeys that think... <laughs> These turkeys that, that that wind up on one on one law and try to preach it all the time, they talk about one thing all the time. They just got problems. Period. <laughs> well, well, right. They have an obvious agenda and and not the um not not a a, a drive to share the truth. No, as, speaking from experience, as one that got hung up years ago on certain on a certain thing, I can say that. It was a problem with my own heart, okay, that caused me to get hung up on something and start teaching it and go on and on and on about the same thing, and it was a problem with my own heart. And until I got that taken care of, I stayed in the same place. And that's generally the way it is with any truth in the Word of God. God will give you you light enough just to take another step. But when you quit walking in the truth that He gives you, He'll snatch the light away, and you'll wind up walking in circles. Well, well, I believe that that's that, that that's very true. That Yahweh can harden our hearts, and and He can open our hearts, and, and it's for our punishment or for our edification. There's no doubt. Well, if you want a lie, He'll give you a lie. It's just like He did the prophet back in. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, where Jehoshaphat and them, the Lord sent a lying spirit. <laughs> that well, well, that's why in Galatians, Paul tells us to correct our brethren with humility, because um, well, we could be tried in the same way. That's right. That's correct. That that that, that book is so powerful. If it, the way you approach the Word of God determines a lot about the light you get from it. You approach it with a humble heart, willing for the Spirit to teach you then you're teachable. But if you approach that book like you know everything, uh, the, the revelation will get cut off pretty quick because that proud heart is something that God hates. Well, well from what my personal experience is in, in um, trying to counter 
false doctrines or understand them. or A lot of people have an idea, and they turn to the Bible to prove their idea, right? Or they go in with an agenda. Well, well and you, right. And, and they find the verses that support their idea and, and discard everything else. Well, you can make the book teach about anything you want to teach, brother. That's, yes. the, re- that's the reason there has to be a, a foundational way of understanding and learning. I mean, I can say, go to Bethel and transgress. That's a verse of Scripture. So I guess I can go to Bethel and sin all I want to sin. You know, there's my verse to prove it. Of course, you can find all kind. You can find that all through the Word of God. It's the way you approach it. It's the way you so, approach it. So, what would you say to Peter Ruckman today? I love you, brother, but you've been wrong all these years, and out of your own mouth, you told me never to believe a word you said, but always check it out and pray and make sure you was right. And I did exactly what you said, and I found out you was wrong. That's exactly what I'd say to him. I would really like to, um, I, I don't know, I would really like to know what leads so many men that walked at least somewhat in the truth at one time to turn to universalism, to turn to evangelizing Negroes when, when they've known for 50 years that, that, that God commanded segregation and, and, um, and, and the message was to only the lost sheep of the children of the house of Israel, right? I think I, I've I, got, I think I've got the answer, brother. I'm in, in one aspect, money and popularity. Money and popularity. Broadening the tent, as you like to say, okay? Broadening the borders of the tent. I believe that's got a lot to do with it. The pride, man's, hey, that pride in man and that, uh, that wanting to be, that, that pride's a tough one, okay? It's tough. And money has a lot to do with it also. There's there's very few people just love to uh, have five or six people to talk to all the time. They really have to love God and really want to get the word out just to accept having a congregation of six or eight or ten people that will listen to you and not wanting to expand their tent. So I, I can understand a reason that, was, that it was done. Back when Dr. Ruckman was really on fire for the truth and would say he didn't know something when he come across it, he lived in a about a three-room home and had students all over to his house spending the night and stuff like that. But as time grew and the popularity grew, the house grew, the money grew, all that stuff, it just grew, brother. And then the truth started taking a toll, okay? You understand what I'm saying? That, that, well, uh, right. I understand what you're saying. I, I, I wanted to hear it from you, and, and I'm glad I did. It, it's... um. Yeah, you know, I look at Joel Osteen, and, and there's a man that could know so much about Scripture, right? And he talks about pork and, and shrimp being unclean foods. And he t- I got this video on Christogenia, right? And, and he talks about how people shouldn't eat them, and he's got an audience half full of Negroes. And I'm thinking, <laughs> it, it's a damn shame he doesn't see the unclean beasts in his audience. That's amazing. And, and I know they turn to Acts chapter 10, but Acts chapter 10 says, you know, Yahweh says to Peter, don't call profane what... I have cleansed. That's right. Yeah, you know, and that defines Acts chapter 10 right there. You can't take it outside of that parameter. You, so sure you have can. to go back to the Old Testament and see precisely what it was that Yahweh cleansed, right? That's correct. And every time I check, I only see the children of Israel. I don't see nothing else. <laughs> that's correct. That's the context, and that's what he's talking about, brother. And it, it just amazes me. Yeah, I mean, they, they will be so right, and they'll be contextually right, and they'll be right on target and something. And then when it comes to something else, they just go freaking crazy, okay? It, it, it blows my mind.
I know I've been guilty of it in the past myself, brother, okay? But, well, I, somebody actually had to sit back there in the 1700s, 1800s. Somebody, you know, the, the people that came up with the Bollinger Bible or the Schofield, they had to sit and think all these things out. They had to purposely think ways around these scriptures. Of course. And it had to be systematized. It couldn't have been by accident they, they developed all these universalist doctrines. Well, brother, what they do, the, the, the books, that the, the verses they don't understand, the verses that they don't want in their doctrine, they all, they put it all in the millennium. They, put, they, they say, this is for the thousand years. This is when we're going to go back under, they, they say, the Jews are going to go back under sacrifice. They're going to start sacrificing again. They're going to have another temple, and then salvation will be by works. And that's what they do. They throw everything they don't understand into a different period of time. That's they got the time elements chopped up. Uh, I mean, all this stuff, this futurism, was started by Catholic uh, Catholic um, Jesuit uh, three Jesuits back um, during the 1400s. I forget their names, but they started that as um, as counter to the Reformation. It's futurism. We're started by three by three Catholic priests and one Jesuit, and then it built up to John Nelson Darby back in the eighteen hundreds. He is the father of dispensationalism, and the Rapture doctrine came in with a woman having a dream, Margaret MacDonald, and then it went from C. I. Schofield, who was taught and funded by uh, by the Jews, and then Ethelbert Bullinger. He was the most famous because Ethelbert Bullinger was really a genius. He was um, an awesome person, an awesome guy, and knew the book real well. But uh, I just come to find out that he had Jewish backing also. So, well, well his the notes in the Bullinger Bible. I, I mean, I don't know if Bullinger was a genius or not. If you say it, I'll take your word for it. His notes came from the Masora. Yeah, I know. I know. All, all that numbers in Scripture—that's right out of the damn Kabbalah. Once you think that the Jews are God's chosen people, then it just stands to reason that if you wanted to find it, I'm talking about even believing that lie, it only stands to reason that you would go to a Jew to find out something you didn't know about that had to do with the Scriptures because they think that the Jews wrote all the Old Testament. They, they think the Jews are the Ark um the, Jew, the oracles of God were committed to the Jews. They don't understand that's Judeans. They think it's got to do with the Jew race, okay? That's what they think. I mean, they'll die by it. I used to feel that way. I figured if there was anything I wanted to know about the Masoretic case or anything, I needed to find out from a Jewish scholar. That's what I thought, brother. That's the way they think. Their mind's poisoned, and until they understand that, they'll always be poisoned. Well, well, absolutely. It's it's a damn shame. It goes back to um, two John nine to eleven. I mean, there's other scriptures that that tell us that, right? I mean, Joshua Christ stood there and told them that they can't do anything but lie. But um, it, it's so plain in the epistles of John that those who deny the Christ, they're the antichrist. That's it. Why are we looking for some other kind of antichrist? Those who deny that Jesus is the Christ, and and that means the Messiah of the Old Testament promised by God. They're the Antichrist. Amen. They'll spiritualize it. Oh, that really doesn't mean that doctrinally. See, that brother, they make a difference between doctrine, doctrinal application, spiritual application, practical application. They chop it up, brother, 
unbelievable. It would drive you crazy if you heard a dispensationalist teach, okay? They'll go through one part, they'll go through the Pauline epistles, and they'll get to one part and say, this is not for us in this age. This is for such and such in the millennium, okay? That's what they'll say, brother, okay? They don't even pay any attention to this. That's not, uh, only the prison epistles are for us, all right? Doctrinally. Then they'll say, those other epistles are for somebody in the tribulation, somebody in the millennium. It's crazy, brother. They've got the Word of God chopped up so much that you can't make head or tails out of it, okay? Well, I guess that's what happens when you read the verse of the time. And you might memorize all the verses, but you don't know the story. <laughs> Knowing the story is very important, brother. But those single verses, I mean, listen. Paul wrote, is Paul's the most uncontextual writer except for the book of Romans that you could possibly try to follow, okay? He'll be talking about one thing, one verse, and in two verses later be talking about totally something different. So <laughs> that can go both ways. I, I I never got that idea from Paul. I, I don't know. I, I never. I, I have no problem reading Paul. Once I've read all the Greek, I, I, I fully understood Paul. Or, or at least I claim to fully understand at least most of what Paul said. There's a few there's a few things in Paul's writing that are very esoteric. And if we don't understand the apocryphal literature, we won't understand Paul's writing. And I believe that comes down to things like in, in Colossians chapter 2, where he talks about the humiliation that's found in the worship of angels, right? Yeah. But which is basically where ancient Canaanite paganism came from. Sure. What was, what was the fallen angels. But if we don't understand Enoch and things like that and have a little background in that, then we're not really going to be able to grasp what Paul is saying. Sure. I agree with that 100%. But but I find 90% of Paul's writing very straightforward. I've never, about, I it may be because, I, because I've spent most of my time in the Pauline epistles because I really took it to heart what Marcion said a long time ago that the book of Luke and the Pauline epistles was all he needed, and that's what the, he threw out all the rest of the Bible. I kind of took him at his word for that for a, quite a while, and that's all I studied. I don't have any problem understanding Paul either. But let me well, give you well an example. if Marcion's idea was to get rid of everything Jewish in the Bible, that's correct. Maybe he maybe he had his heart in the right place, but the Old Testament isn't really Jewish, right? And we shouldn't see, unless you're talking about the Book of Esther, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> the Book right. of Esther is the only Jewish book in the Bible. I agree. The, um, it's not Jewish, and, and and if Marcion had had the historical understanding that Paul had, I'm sure he would have um, embraced the, the Old Testament. Sure, I agree with that, and I believe his heart was in the right place. I really and, do. And today, there's a lot of white nationalists that that um, want to reject, even in Christianity, that want to reject the Old Testament because they see it as Jewish, and sure. it's not. I understand. It's not one bit Jewish, except Esther. That's right. It's still, again, that word, that word Jew, brother, that word Jew and Gentile, those are the two, those are the two most understood words in the whole Word of God, okay? By mainstream people, those two words right there. That if they well, well, right. The, book, the word Gentile is, is a, a, um, that word is a thorn in our side if we don't understand it. There's no that's doubt. Correct. That's exactly correct, and, I, and it, that's the first thing I would start out with teaching anybody from the ground up is the understanding of those two words. Well, well, to me, the easiest way I could sum up the word Gentile is that it never meant non-Jew. It always meant nation, and in the context of Paul's epistles, 
we have to go to Romans chapter 4, where Paul describes the faith of Abraham and says that Abraham was blessed because he believed that many nations would come from his seed. Right. He trusted then, God. That's the faith of Abraham, and they are the nations that Paul brought the gospel to. Of course, but when you tell just a mainstream Christian and get him to even agree that Gentiles means nations, brother, he'll immediately say, well, what about China? What about Japan? What about Africa? That's what he's talking about. It's well, well, then I would challenge him to find me the epistle of Paul to the Japanese, and then I'll I, include I, I understand that, brother, but they, then again, they think that, oh, when it was written, it was written for the whole world, brother. They go back to John 3.16 when they don't even understand what the context and what it's talking about. Like I said, brother, the message is definitely one of the most important things, okay? Until you get the message, you can't understand the rest of the book, okay? Well, well that's absolutely true, but there's always some place that you can go to show them in, in the Scripture where what. You know, if you wanted to find the whole world, we have to go to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, I think it's Luke 2, 1, where it says that Caesar taxed the whole world. That's correct. You can do that. That defines the whole world right there, the world that Caesar taxed. Brother, uh, trust me, I have used all those <laughs> arguments. And, and like I I've got a few people that's listening, some of the some of my old friends from Bible college, especially one in Tennessee, is he's probably listening to this broadcast. He'll know I'm talking about him. But he's listening. He And I can tell he's he's thinking. He's actually thinking and studying. Yeah, but the others, I mean, they have wrote me off as a heretic, you know. And you can't, when you bring those points out to them, brother, it's just what they've been taught. Well, Dr. Ruffman said this. Well, Dr. Ruffman, they don't care what the Word of God said, even though they were taught that that was the most important thing in the world was the book. They want to believe what they were taught. It blows my mind. Well, well, that goes back to what we how we open this conversation, right? It's That's hard right. for a man to, to, to come to the, the, the realization and admit that what he's believed and taught his whole life is wrong. That's right, brother. And, and it's, it's one of the hardest things to do. I agree. I agree completely. And it just, it, but it, it just still never ceases to amaze me how something can be in black and white and you can, they can still just be blinded to it. Well, well but, that's, you know, Paul's that, that's but, the example Paul set, where Paul said that he was a Pharisee and that he excelled above all those of his own race in Phariseeism. That's correct. And that's then right. it, that, it, that it was wrong. <laughs> and it took God knocking him down off a horse and blinding him to show him the truth. <laughs> well, well, right. That's why I said, you know, if you can come to the awakening of the truth of, of God in the Bible... And, and um, its meaning to our race and our history without having suffered any calamity, that, then you're a blessed man. That's right. Well, praise God. That's all I can say. Praise Yahweh God. No doubt about it. No doubt. Well, well, I was hoping to get one particular caller. I don't think he's on the line yet, though. Well, I'm on the line, Pastor Fink. How you doing, Jeremy? It's I'm doing great. How you guys it's doing? It's great to hear your voice. Yeah. Hey, I gotta say, it's great to hear your voice, and definitely hearing Dawn's there. You know, from uh, the the deep south there, because for the last few months I've been living up here in the Pacific Northwest, and you know, you hear a lot in, in white nationalism about this great Pacific Northwest migration, but I found coming up here to like Seattle, Washington State, and Idaho, there's more niggers with white skin. Than they ever were in the dirty south. You know what I mean? You try to talk to these people, and they're just with knee-jerk reactionaries. 
Is this Jeremy oh, Bisser? Oh. Yeah. Bisser, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. How you been? Oh, brother, I've been asking about you for four months. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been kind of missing in action in four months. You know, I did a show back in December on Eli's show where I kind of explained what happened to me, and Zog kind of moved against me and my family, and that was part of the reason why I had to leave the South, you know, and, and come up here, but um, I sure do miss it. <laughs> Amen, brother. I, I, I was I, I listened to you quite a bit on some of Bill's old CDs, and he can tell you I've been asking about you for a long time. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it's definitely great, great to hear, you know, because it's a whole different world up here. And, it, you know, as far as the apostate are concerned, it seems like, you know, at least in the South, you were able to witness to certain people, and they have that racial, you know, <laughs> the ability to discern the difference between the races. Up here, you know, it's funny, almost every single person, even out of context in a conversation, they'll come along and they'll be like, well, I'm not racist by any means, but... And it's like, it's okay, I am, you know, you're not going to offend me. <laughs> That's right, brother. But, yeah, it's it's great, man. It's great to hear from you guys and, you know, know that you guys are fighting the good fight. Have you have you run across what I was talking about earlier, how you can mention blacks and they say, you're a racist, but yet you talk about the Indians up there and they jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It's funny, too, because most of it, you know, you get on the Jewish question. That's when they usually really go off, and it, it, the only thing I can deduct is it comes directly from television brainwashing or programming because, you know, people don't even understand where it comes from, but you start talking about the Jewish problem, and instantly, oh, you're a, you're a clan leader, you're a cult leader. You're Amen. A... Amen, brother. That's exactly right. And it comes from that darn television. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They, uh, or from the, the Judeo pulpits. You know, in the South, it seemed like, at least in Atlanta and roundabout, there was a church, you know, on every single corner. And they call it the Bible Belt. But at the same time, coming up here to the Pacific Northwest, there's hardly any churches. But yet, I've met so many whack jobs up here that have a literal interpretation, you know, they'll be coming along and be like, oh, I, let me tell you about my walk with Jesus Christ. And you'll be like, yeah, go ahead and explain. And they'll they'll literally get into, oh, yeah, well, you know, Christ came and walked with me in the world. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and he's like a majority of the hippies that were dropping brown acid in the late 60s descended on, like, Seattle and, and Portland, Oregon and these places. And, and, you know, and seems like a lot of them shot their brain out because when you try to, you know, Try to bring them back to the scripture, and it's like you were saying, Don, where you talk about, you know, the word. That's what they all, every single church will profess to be. Oh, we're full gospel, we're Bible believing churches, and then you know you really get into it and you find out they're really not. That, that's exactly correct, brother. You hit the nail on the head. I found out the same thing when I was up there, brother. They candleine, charismatic, and they're all seeing visions and junk like that, brother. Crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it is absolutely crazy, the difference. And it's two entirely different worlds. And a majority of my problems, at least within, you know, my personal struggle that I've had at least this year, have come not from the Jew or from the Jihad or any of these people. It comes directly from a lot of white liberals, self-loathing white liberals that, you know, want to hate me for fighting for their own cause. It blows my mind because it's like, why do you hate me when, you know, I'm preaching the advancement of the white race or the, or the gospel you know, that's exactly what they take. It's like they're so self-loathing that they can't even understand, you know, the Jewish problem. I mean, they're, they're there, but it seemed like in the South there were a lot more people that were able to understand, you know, that were more open and prone to Christian identity message, whereas up here in the Pacific Northwest, it's like you say anything that they deem as derogatory or against the Zog agenda, they'll jump all over you quickly. I understand. 
Yeah. I understand I ran into the same problem when I was up there. But, brother, that doesn't take away from the fact that it's majority white and it's still nice up there, okay? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's exactly what my wife says, you know. It is nice to be surrounded by white people, but at the same time, I found like in the South where the problem with miscegenation was so rampant, you'd see these white girls with niggers. Oh, God. Uh, here, you'll see white girls with Eskimos. So it seems like at the same time, no matter where you go, there's always, you know, some type of nigger. I guess in London it's the Muzzies, and in Australia it's the Aborigines or whatever, but there's always that problem. And it is weird to see how, you know, our women are so prone through the media conditioning to go. I was fixing to say, even that that's the, the long hand of the Jewish media brother runs rampant all over the world, okay? Well, yeah. well the, Jewish, the Jewish Sarah Palin bragged about her husband being part Eskimo when she got the nomination in 2008. Yeah. Insanity. Yeah. And, and that's, 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 you know, people see that and, and oh, it's okay. Uh-huh. And, and I would, you know, talking about, I just checked it out real quick, and um, Washington State voted almost 58% for Barack Obama in 2008, right? Yeah. Good. And I'm not using that as any, any, um, any you know, who, who the good people are and who the bad people are, but because it's mainstream politics and it's all evil, right? But, but it is a litmus test as to the degree of liberalism there. Yeah. Sure. But the liberals, you know, 50, they're, they're almost all white, and 58% of them voted for Barack Obama. That's unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and a majority of them believe that the Negro is like they see on television. You know, they that's don't believe it. it. <laughs> yeah, they're the type of people that voted, you know, this, this nog in office, and then they turn around and they look at me when I'm worried about my white daughters getting raped living in, in Atlanta like I'm some type of heretic. And it's, it's, it's absolutely interesting. And going back to what you were saying about Sarah Palin, I heard today that actually on MTV they're, they're having a new reality show with her daughter, one of her race-mixing daughters, where they're having cameras go around and follow her with her black boyfriend, and I guess she has a miscegenated child. And I'm just like, you know, the mud television just keeps pushing this agenda nonstop. The bombardment against the children and teenagers is Amazing. I don't know how she's not the nominee with, with all that in her family. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Prime candidate right there, you know? Yeah, God hasten the day when every television set in America will blow up. Amen. Amen. That would be great. You know, and it's it's not only that, though, as well. I've noticed that most of it begins in public school where they start, you know, teaching white guilt, and, and a lot of the liberals pick it up. And here... You know, you see a lot of the liberals with the um, the dreadlocks, the white dreadlocks. They're following the Rastafarian culture, which is anti-white at its core root. Sure. You know, and so it's an entirely different type of wigger up here as there was in the South. Yeah. So it, it really is a, a global problem that we're seeing. And I, I believe the only way out is through Christ, you know. it's, it's Of course. Yeah. Of course. There's every, no doubt about that. And that's what I'm saying. I hasten the day where every knee bows because, you know, there's going to be a lot of confused people. And like you were saying, the knee-jerk reaction, it's the same way with Catholicism. Whereas, you know, they do what the Pope says, and then they have the audacity to say that CI is is a cult and we're brainwashing people. It's like right. <laughs> you bow to a Pope, but the Pope comes along and says the word, you know, is, not, is, infa- is fallible, and they jump right on the bandwagon. That's great, you know, and they, they believe it. That's exactly right, brother, and it's the same way with the little Protestant popes also. People will get behind a little Protestant pope, and they'll do the same thing. Whatever comes out of their mouth is the gospel, whether it comes out of the book or not, okay? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing.
But yeah, it's definitely great to hear your guys' voice, you know, and and it's amazing as well, you know, you know like uh, how the media will come along and they'll slander people. Like uh, Pastor Peters died recently, and and in the in the article they said, oh, he had a small following. And you think about it though, people like you know Pastor Fink and and myself even our listeners far far transcend. They're so far beyond people like Joel Olstein or even your average neighborhood church. Sure. You know, and that's the thing that blows my mind. It's like someone like Peter, someone like Bill Fink or whatever, the 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 messages go so far out there. And You know, I have 100,000 listeners myself, and I haven't even preached in like nine months. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting how the, the ADL and the SPLC will go ahead and they'll, they'll use that and say, oh, they're just a small and significant following, when in reality, you know, it seems like the racial message is gaining momentum and a lot, but, you know, we have a lot more listeners than the average church. That's completely understandable, brother. People do not understand how if somebody hears the same phrase over and over and over again, they may not believe it to start with, but after they've heard it four or five hundred times and every afternoon and every morning they hear the same thing, they will eventually accept it no matter what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. It's a the power, the power of words. People do not, people fully don't grasp the power of words in our language, and how the way the words are presented cause an effect in the mind. And we can go off into some deep stuff there, but I won't go there. But absolutely, words are so powerful, brother. Yeah. Just like music is so powerful. Music's a universal language, and it can be so powerful, brother, it can affect the way you think, the way you act. It can affect all kinds of things, and people don't stop to think about it. Yeah, that's true, and it definitely affects the way you feel, you know, and and that's the thing. The the spirit, eventually the body will follow the spirit, and that's, you know, it seems like people walk around saying, I'm sick and tired all the time, eventually become sick and tired. Amen. Yeah, and it seems the same way through media. You know, the whole world seems to be, at least in America, involved in some form of death worship, you know, to one degree or another. Everything centers around demons or whatever it can be, and and that's what I see when I turn on the jukebox. It's one show after another. It's just Talmudic and it's private premise, and it's almost... You could almost sit back and take each one of these shows and deduct it down to the violation of the ten, one of the Ten Commandments, whether it's adultery or miscegenation or whatever. And, you know, the media knows that. And it's just so funny how a lot of the mainstream Christians profess themselves to be Christians and at the same time, much like uh, Bill Fink when he was on the, the Springola show the other day. You know, you get people call up, and it's their knee-jerk reaction is one dude was saying, "Yeah, my great-grandpappy pappy signed the Declaration of Independence." I'm sitting here like, <laughs> you know, give me a break on this, you know. But his hatred of that particular caller, the hatred of his own people, or at least the German people, it it, it never ceases to amaze me how they choose the enemy over themselves. It's, it's like the whole world is in self-defeatism. Let me tell you something, Jeremy. The the very spirit that our Father put in us for compassion has been picked up on by the enemy and used against us, okay? Yeah. yeah. That's one Absolutely. Of, that, that, that is a truth that cannot be denied. Empathy without the Word of God is our biggest en- enemy. That's correct. That's exactly correct. And it's been picked up and used against us because it only exists in the white race. It does not, actual compassion and empathy does not exist in the other races. I don't care what anybody says. It does no, not. No, as soon as they, as soon as you stop moving, they want to eat you. 
That's it. <laughs> and that's so true. It goes right back to the same point. You know, it's like the same people who come along and say the Jews are God's chosen. I wonder why it is that how come then the Jews don't fulfill any of the prophecies of Abraham, you know, where where Christ says in thee and thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I believe that's part of our empathy and sympathy factor. We don't Jews see it in the Jew. We get to use their money that we owe them. Oh, Jeremy, didn't you know that that was for the millennium? That's got nothing to do with us today. That's spiritual, brother. Yeah, Yeah, spiritual Israel. You know, we're we're grafted in. It's like, you know, I wouldn't want to be grafted in on these people that, you know, are creatures that maintain, you know, the porno industry, the media industry, and uh, the usury in this land. But, you know, I don't know what it is. I guess they... A majority of them don't even believe that the Jews are a race. You know, they want to believe it's a religion, and I think that's one of the mo's of the enemy to confuse people. Sure. You know, where we. Well, well, the proof that it's genetic is that every generation they hate Christ. That's yeah. So true. And they wax worse and worse. You know, it's the sins of the father, what have you. It's every generation that hates me is going to wax worse and worse, and that's what it seems like. And now you see Alex Linder over on BNN going off on Christians. Oh, Christians are the biggest problem. It's like, no, Christians were the main staple of white nationalism up until probably 20 years ago. And now we see this secularism even falling in within that, where these people are professing to want to advance our race, but they're not going to do it without Christ, at least in my opinion. Uh, That's exactly right, brother. Yeah. They're absolutely not, because our race without morals and and without the laws of our God, what what do we do? We go to bed with Chinese girls. (laughs) So true. Fall right down to the level of the Negro. It's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. And that's the thing. I don't think it's going to get much better. You know? No, it's not, brother. It's not going to get any better unless the Lord pushes a reset button and absolutely wipes out the alien and wipes out the stranger from among star mist and does away with electricity, okay? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and even Satan's considered the power of the air, and he definitely rules the airwaves. The prince of the power of the air. And the thing about it is if you took our people – and for six months, they had no television, and they had no kind of communication with the outside world, and had time to relearn how to talk to one another and think critically. But you'd see an awakening, okay? Amen. I really believe that. That's so true. That's so true, and I think that's one of the biggest weapons in Satan's arsenal is making people believe that they're somehow smarter than other. By watching television, you know, a majority of people, oh, I'm not going to, I'm going to wait for the movie. I'm not going to read the book. And that's, that's the problem is the bombardment continually. You know, if, if the media even mentions Christ, they'll say he's a Jew. And then, you know, people like Don Black and Alex Linder, they pick up on that. And all of a sudden we're the outcasts. And it's like, well, you know, to each their own, but. We will persevere with God with us, you know, who can stand against us. That's exactly right. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Amen. And I tell you one thing, brother, that it just uh, it blows my mind. I keep saying this over and over and over again in famous words. It blows my mind that these people, brother, that just it, like the television. I, I keep going back to it. I haven't had a television in years. Okay, Amen. I don't. I couldn't tell you one what's on television. There's no way that I will watch one. I believe it's more than just the words that come over the screen. I believe there's some. I believe the beta waves and all that junk. I believe that stuff puts people into a dream state, to where their mind could be manipulated easier. I believe that. That's true. There's too much. There's too much evidence to back it up. I mean, there's colleges like the uh, like uh, the University of Texas. It's got special that special uh, programs that's top secret. 
for DARPA that they use to teach this stuff in radio and television, brother. There's more to it than, than meets the eye. Yeah. Well, what was, you know, Paul taught that um, that which we subject ourselves to comes to rule over us. And, and with television, that's a perfect example of that. Amen. Yeah. People can't, they become addicted to it and they can't turn it off. And, yeah. and they can't be without it. They have to know what's going on. They have to know what happened on their show. They have to know what happened to Judge Judy. <laughs> Judy. She is seven or eight months ago, and I brought the topic up about television. And I shut. There were some. There were older people there. They were in their seventies, some in their eighties, and some in their late sixties. And I, I said, remember back when you actually talked to one another in the afternoon, and in, in the afternoon there wasn't a blue glow in the window, but you were outside talking to one another, and you helped your neighbor, and you got together, and things happened like that. But now it's all a blue glow in the window. Nobody's talking to one another, and some of them drop their heads. And I said, now if it was taken away, wouldn't you? Don't you understand it would be better that way? And some of them raised their hand, and one guy stood up. In the back, said, "You ain't taking my television away from me." <laughs> yeah, like it's his daughter. You know, that's it. It's so true. Yeah. They love their idols, brother. They love their idols, and they everybody they think that an idol is just something that stands up on a pole or a, or a phallic symbol. Or a, no, 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 no. It's what you love most. It's what's in your heart. The idols of the heart. That's true. Anything you spend more time with than God is definitely an idol. You got it. And what's amazing is in the 80s, you know, it seemed like we had, uh, you know, 13 channels, 14 channels on regular. Now there's cable television with 500 to 5,000 channels at any given time, and there's still nothing on television. It's all crap, you know. And so they, they just poured in there. I think uh, it was Bill Fink one time who said basically the premise behind television is is cracking open the top of your head and pouring crap into your brain, and that's Absolutely. essentially what it is. Absolutely. And I believe that's why a majority of our boys are our men now. I mean, I wonder where the men are because most of them are unfeminized. Most of the women are feminists, and the men are just kook old little punks who sit at home and allow their women to walk all over them, you know. They've been castrated. Yeah. And it's all straight from the Communist Manifesto and the Protocols of Zion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, or directly out of the Talmud, and that's the other thing. You know, as as people call it, the Talmud vision. That's such an accurate description because basically everything you see coming from that comes directly from the Talmud as well. When it comes to pedophilia and the the, the concept of the you know the best of the Gentiles should be killed, or that any of the Gentiles aren't worth a Jewish fingernail. You know, and so you see that as well. It's like Fink was talking about a few weeks ago. It's like you always hear the six million number, six million, six million. <laughs> especially for the, you never hear about Dresden. You never hear about the abortion mills that kill hundreds of thousands every month. You know, it's always the six million because they're the chosen after all. And it's like, well, they were chosen for anything. They were chosen to be, you know, for destruction. Now, they're chosen. They're chosen, all right. Oh, I believe they're chosen. They're chosen for destruction. That's exactly well, well, what they're six, chosen at, for. At the return of Christ, six million Jews will fit into a Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. There is no doubt. I love that. I'm going to have to remember that one. That one is good. <laughs> and you true. never hear anybody talk about all the white Russian Christians that were that were slaughtered by the Jews. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I made the po- I made it a point to bring that up on on uh, my program last night. Yeah, you did. Twenty million Christians just between 1913 and 1948 were killed by the Jews. 
They right. instigated the wars. They instigated the Bolshevik Revolution. They led it. They engineered it. And, and, and all of those crimes rest at their feet. I know. Yeah, absolutely. Payback. And that's the, that's the beautiful thing because, you know, people get it so confused and a majority of it comes from the television, I believe, because when Buddy's calling up on the Springola show talking about, uh, you know, oh, well, Hitler's whole premise was based on, you know, on usury. It's like, well, there, or inflation. There was no inflation. There was no usury. You know, Germany was such so prosperous during the time the rest of the world was in a Great Depression. They turn everything upside down. They call good evil and evil good, you know. That's right. In five, in five years, the Germans turned a, a totally uh, bankrupt nation into one of the most wealthiest nations in the world. Amen. In five years. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the th- that's the interesting thing is you, you know a lot of these people have you know out there in just mainstream America they have this ideal that German bad Jew good you know and you I wonder a lot of times if they even are able to recognize where it comes from. Well, well, that's the crap that gets poured into their brains on their television. (laughs) And we go right back to what I said earlier about they hear the same thing over and over again. They eventually believe it. My dad fought against Hitler in World War II, and my dad told me Hitler was, after he got out of the war when I was about a teenager, he told me never trust a Jew, have nothing to do with a Jew, and Hitler was right. Amen. And my dad fought in World War II in Germany. Wow. Well, well, that's why I say Adolf Hitler was a good Christian that, that practiced it throughout his political philosophy and in his life, and Christians don't understand that. And, and before I could explain Hitler, I got to explain Christianity. And, and people, Christians that, well, like Jim Condit, claim to know Christianity. He doesn't know a damn thing. He's a Catholic. He doesn't know a damn thing about Christianity. That's true. Yeah, that figures. That's true. And, it definitely... and he's a Hitler basher because he's really a Jew. Yeah, he he may not be a Jew by blood, but he's a Jew between the ears. <laughs> Kaika like, for sure. You take a generation that's raised hearing one thing, and that's just like you said, Hitler, 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 bad Jews, good. You take a generation that's raised, they don't know any better. Okay, they've never heard any better. They're going to defend what they've heard all their life. Yeah, they're going to defend it. And it takes an act of God to change their mind. Absolutely. Many are called, few are chosen. That's and that's the same thing. You hit the nail on the head, brother. Many are called, but few are chosen. Yeah. And that's that's what I think probably, you know, keeps all of us going in that regard is that, you know, we may not reach the masses, but out of a hundred, there's one, or out of a thousand, there's, you know, two or three. And those are the ones that are worth it because when you actually see a seed take root, and you actually see someone be able to, it's like the veils being lifted from their eyes and them, and they're being able to actually read the scripture that's there. I mean, the, the Bible's the most racist book there is. It is. But yeah, a majority of people out there, you mention that. Oh, no. They go back to just like you said, John 3.16. <laughs> they do it every time, brother. Yeah. And, it's, you know, I've even read articles where they say John 3.16 isn't even in the manuscripts, which would be kind of fitting. But, I mean, even if you take it at its face value. You know, it doesn't say that all are saved. No, it sure doesn't. You know, it's like Paul said in Romans 11, brother. Today there is a there is a remnant according to the election of grace, and that remnant is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I think. You know, you look on the horizon, you look at the world and the apostasy that we're we're following further and further into. Seems to me like the birth pangs of a new age. Now I'm not going to come along and say it's 2012. You know, because it's absolutely. Whatever, but, you know, it looks like, you know, 
time's getting short. The devil knows time is short, and that's why he's pushing the agenda so much. I think a lot of the stuff that people have been hoodwinked into in the last 20 years couldn't have even been fathomable in the 70s and the 60s. Of course, I, I, I totally believe that, brother. I, I, I lived those years in the 70s and 60s. I can tell you, there's no way. Mm-hmm. There's no way. And, and exactly 10 years ago, you know, if I would have come to somebody and told them, you know we're going to have a nigger president and fags can get married, a majority of them would have laughed me to scorn and said, absolutely not. That will never happen, and here we are. You know, and it's just amazing how we slip into it. A majority of people don't awake, you know, and that's the most important thing is just telling the truth in season and out of season because the people that are all called, that are Jesus' sheep, they will follow, you know, and the voice of a stranger or an ethnos, they won't follow. Amen, brother. Amen. The two camps, the majority of them follow Obama no matter what he says, and the rest of us are like no king but Jesus. That's how it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's just like the Jews encompass land and sea to make one proselyte, and when they do, he's too poor more to a child of hell than themselves. Amen. When they get a white, when they get a white to start following that Jew stuff, brother, uh, the white man will defend them more than the freaking Jew will defend himself. Yeah, that's true. It's crazy. It's nuts. Talking about your drive towards sexual deviance the other night on my chat server, and the topic's come up a few times in the last few weeks, the next thing that they're going to push is the normalization of pedophilia. I agree with that. They're, they're going to get their, their sexual deviant marriage through and, and normalized the, the world over, and then they're going to push, or, or at least throughout this nation in Europe, and then they're going to push for the normalization of pedophilia. If things go the way they've been going incrementally and the Jews stay in control like they are, then you're exactly right, brother. But you know what a strange thing is? Pedophilia is one sin that's not mentioned in the Word of God. It's well, no, but he who hurts one of these little ones. Oh, I know. I understand that. I mean, it's alluded to, but as far as, as far as spelling it out in black and white, every other sin is mentioned, but pedophilia is not. Right, and and that's because perfectly normal people of, of <laughs> race would not imagine having sex with children. There you go. That's true. You know, I read uh, recently that doesn't need to be legislated. Yeah. That's true. You know, and I recently read that uh, dolphin, they did a IQ test on a dolphin, and the dolphin actually scored higher than the average of Africa. Pretty much the entire continent. I read that article also. Yeah, and I'm sitting here wondering how long before they normalize marriage between human and dolphin. You know? Well, I put a dolphin into my house before I let a Negro. <laughs> Amen. That's what I'm saying. Definitely a lot smarter. At least they keep with their own, you know. That's <laughs> right. That's true. But, yeah, it is great. You know, I've been following, and even though I've been not that vocal as of late, I've definitely, you know, the the shows that Fink does and, and a lot of others within Christian Identity, Sword Brethren, and so forth, they've been a real blessing, you know, and it's it's amazing how many other people, you know, will follow and are receptive to it if it's, if it's you know, given like you, well, brother, it, it is so good to hear you because, like I said, I've been asking about you for for forever. Okay, where you got off to? I think my daughter got in touch with uh with your wife or something like that. Yeah, I believe she did. Yeah, yeah, on Facebook or something like that. That's correct. Yeah, and Facebook's been in- incremental, and you know it's interesting about Facebook as well. You know, there's a lot of bad things can be said about it. M- majority of people don't know that a Facebook is what the feds used to use against you. You know, when they were trying to find a, a criminal, they would pull out the Facebook, yeah. and they would have someone go through that. But at the same time, I have noticed that you know it's great for being able to do that, keep in touch with 
people around the world, wherever you are, at least being able to log in and, and see what's going on. That's where a majority of the shows that I download from Bill Fink, you know, he's posting up on his Facebook account. Yeah. And so at least they haven't silenced that. I, we, I mean, I definitely know they're monitoring because they've been monitoring me for years, but that's, like I said, you know, it's just part of it. Well, let them monitor. <laughs> yeah. Let them let freaking monitor. I don't care. Yeah. Well, they've been monitoring me since 1989. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and that's the, that, you know, everything I do is right out in the open. And, and Facebook is evil, there's no doubt. But if they want to know what I'm doing, they just have to go to Christagenia. I mean, I'm not doing anything different on Facebook, so I may as well use that Jew to to um to to spread the word about my site. That's book. right, absolutely. And, and it's free. And as long as I don't have to give that Jew bastard one penny, <laughs> I'm going to use Facebook. <laughs> so true. That's so true. right. I mean, yeah, because as far as the degradation, you know, that's and pedophilia and all that stuff, it's so rampant on Facebook. A lot of people have been getting busted on Facebook, and that's that's actually kind of refreshing to hear, at least to me, that, you know, they're not rounding us up yet. They're kind of going after the people who seemingly deserve to be busted, so. Yeah. Well, well you know, Martin41 here, he posted a few hundred links for Chris on on, on um, Craigslist the last few weeks, and I probably got about 300 visits this month. Nice. Through, through those links, and, yeah. and he took the time to do that, and that's wonderful. But um, that that's the way we get the word out. Let's use some of these Jew tools to our favor. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's true. And I noticed even Google, a lot of these search engines, you know, they uh, they label us and they put us in the, in certain types of rankings because, you know, my website sort of dropped with their farmer update and a few of the things they've had, but it doesn't stop it. You know, people still come from the search engines. They come from the links that are posted, like you were saying, on YouTube and all these other places. And, you know, if they're receptive to it, they'll definitely eat it up, you know, and that's the good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's another thing. There's a guy on YouTube. I don't even know who he is. I don't know who he is. And I can't even remember his YouTube name right now. But he's taken a lot of the audios I've did and put put them on YouTube and, and put pictures to them. And I've gotten a ton of visits from that off, Christy, off my onto my website. I get a couple of hundred visits a month from that. Yeah. Yeah, and it is interesting as well. It's done us a great favor, a great deed. Yeah, it seems like the the thirst is there, you know, and in the end times, knowledge will increase. I mean, I I had read that David Duke, you know, know, I don't agree with him, but as far as that, when he came out and started mentioning about these killings in Norway, that became like the most viewed video on YouTube, period. And, you know, of course they want to sequester that and knock it back down, but it, it gives me hope to see that, you know, at least there is, the racial identity, you know, and yeah, I get all David Duke's videos. He sends them straight to my email, and uh, I, I watch everything that he puts out. I don't agree with everything he says, but I know that YouTube hates him. The ADL hates him, okay. and anybody the ADL hates in the Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, there's something good about him. <laughs> That's so true. That's so well, true. Well, it's rather small on the scale compared to David Duke, but last week Rents picked up one of my articles. Yeah, you told and, you, you said and that. I was That's shocked. great. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so I got about um, 1,600 visits just from rents in a couple you of know, years. I would not be surprised, Bill, if if, uh, if Fink will have – not Fink. If, uh, if Rents will have you on his on his radio show, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Well, well I don't have that happening, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they want to go there. <laughs> 
Definitely. Well, give them too much, too much truth at one time. Well, well, I'll go talk to anybody. You know, I talked to Giuliani, and and he hated me and talked. Oh, that's that's why I left. He made yeah. a fool out of himself, and and um, I thought that was great that I got under his skin. Well, like Adolf Hitler said, if you haven't pissed the Jew off today, you haven't done your job. <laughs> true. If you're not catching flack, you're not over the target. Well, well, right, and and um. I say I got you know there were some idiot callers on a, on the Deanna Spingola program, but her she was good and and she was um extremely congenial. She was a lot more congenial than I expected and, and receptive, and, and that was good. Even if she didn't agree with everything I said, she she listened and gave me the opportunity to say it right. Yeah, and, and that's we have to you know um some of the Christian identity ministers. I, I won't mention any names tonight, but they think we have to compromise our message to get to a wider audience. And, and Chris Degeni is in the top 100,000 sites on Alexa for over a year now. We don't have to compromise our message to get the word out. Once you start compromising a little bit, you'll compromise a lot. You exactly. can't compromise. And then you get a lot of the lukewarm people, and that's the, you know, you can't trust the lukewarm people anyway. Or you don't really want them, you know. Amen. The word is going to get out when God wants it to get out, period. Amen. Who's going to get out when God wants it to get out? So, so why compromise? That's exactly we right. And where, where we feel is is closest to the truth that we can possibly get, and stay there. That's right. Amen. And keep and keep keep doing it over and over and over again, and God will give the increase. So true. And it seems now, like now the article I wrote for Rents is you know I use some different phraseology than I do for CI people. And I didn't write the article for Rents. I wrote the article for my Saxon Messenger site, but I capitalized the word Jew and things because I wrote it for the mainstream. I want mainstream people to look at this article and understand it, Yeah. right? And and they'll just toss it aside if I don't do certain things. And and um and and that worked, but I didn't compromise what I said about the Jews. Right. You, you know, so we can reach a, a um a wider audience and and not compromise our message. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. I understand. And that's what it seemed like to me on the Springola show. It seemed like she was really receptive. I mean, she was like, Yeah, a, she a did lot, me also. Yeah, a lot more a lot more supportive of you than a lot of the Annie callers that were calling in there, foaming <laughs> at the mouth, you know. Oh, my God, how can you say Hitler's a Christian? And at the same time, you ask him, have you read Mein Kampf? Have you read any of his speeches or any of the things he said? Oh, well, Mom, I'm not going to. It's like, well, then you're the ignorant one because if they, you know, if you read his works, there's no doubt. Hitler was a Christian man. That's right. You know, and that's the interesting thing is, you know, I think a lot of us are waking up, and those that aren't going to wake up definitely probably never will, and they're not the sheep. So it's no worries. You don't have to water down the message is what I'm saying. Amen. Yeah. And, and we, I think we curse ourselves when we do. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Period. Amen. It is definitely great to hear you guys, you know. And I just well, wanted to call. It's good to hear you, brother. After so long, I get to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, that's the thing too. I mean, we will be back up. Mostly, uh, I'm going to do a stint on eleven, eleven, eleven on Eli's show, and the reason for that is because I've done them since the very first one. And here's the interesting thing: Do you think there'll be a twelve, twelve, twelve show? <laughs> I'm just kidding, but <laughs> I'll bet there'll be a thirteen, thirteen, thirteen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, from that point on, definitely 2012 is going to be pretty um, a lot of stuff coming from CPM, and I have a lot of stuff in back catalog because even though I haven't been releasing anything, I've still been preaching. So we've got Amen. about 
20-some-odd sermons. We completed the Gospel of Thomas and stuff like that. It's just a matter of editing it and putting them up on the on the, on the the website. And that's great. You know, so they can't keep a good man down. You know? Man, it's good to hear you're staying by the stuff, brother. Definitely. Always. Always will. And I'm hoping someday maybe I can come on Fink's show and do a little, you know, tidbit. Yeah. Now, well, this program is going to be pretty much an open format, right? This is replacing my Monday night forum call. Oh, I see. And and I will give presentations here. Last week I presented baptism in what? I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do next week. I might present my broken cisterns paper, right? Yeah. Nice. That'll be good. Yeah. At least the, um, the first part of it. I got to get Clifton on here, but no, whenever you want to do anything, you've got a topic. And and um, you you just let me know. Okay, definitely. I'm gonna let you brothers go. It's definitely good to hear from you again, Don. And, and good brother. to hear you, brother. You take care, and God bless you and your family. Will do. Thank you so much. Keep it. Keep fighting the good fight, brothers. Amen. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, it's been a pleasure, and, and Don, it's been a pleasure, and and thank you for being here. And well, it's been my pleasure, Bill. I really appreciate the opportunity. Anytime, anytime. Okay. Thank you, Matt. For, um, for watching the board and praise Yahweh. This is William Fink, and I will see you next Friday. Matthew chapter 25. Good night.